Hello, and welcome to Sherlock, from Adler to Amberley. An attempt to analyse all 56 of the Sherlock Holmes short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In order. Starting with the first story, A Scandal in Bohemia, featuring the celebrated adventuress Irene Adler, and finishing with the final story of the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, The Retired Cullerman, where Holmes and Watson accept the case from Mr Josiah Amberley. Hence, from Adler to Amberley. My name is Carl Kopak, and I'll be presenting this irregular series along with a special guest as we attempt to assess the value of each tale of the canon. A recap of the adventure of Black Peter by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It's 1895. Holmes and Watson are, well, obviously they're ensconced in Baker Street. Um, and Watson's going through some of the cases he couldn't, uh, he couldn't discuss at the time. The, uh, the sudden death of Cardinal Tosca, for one. Um, <laughs> and uh, my favourite, I think one of my favourite ones ever, which is the arrest of Wilson. Uh, the notorious Canary trainer, which removed a black spot, a plague spot, sorry, from the east end of London. Um, uh, in July, he hasn't seen, um, Watson hasn't seen Holmes for a while, but um, he keeps getting um, men coming over asking about uh, Captain Basil, which obviously is, must be Holmes, and Holmes is working on a case and hasn't really brought, uh, brought Watson into his, um, into his mind about that, you know, to tell him what's going on. One day Holmes turns up and he's carrying a, a harpoon. He's been walking through the streets of London with it and he tells um, Watson that, um, you wouldn't believe what I've been doing with this, he's been s sticking a pig with one blow uh, with this harpoon uh, in, uh, in Allardyce's butchery shop. Butchers, I should say. Watson quite correctly says, ah, this is about to do with the, the business of Woodman's Lee, isn't it? And um, he says, well, yeah, it might be, but... Uh, Anyway, we've got a guest coming over, uh, which is uh, a police official, a young inspector called Stanley Hopkins. Now, Holmes likes Hopkins. It's, he's, uh, I think this is Hopkins' first story, because um, he sort of models himself on you know, He tries to follow, you know, the, the routine and, you know, analysis and deduction, and he tries to sort of, you know, um, work very much in his own fashion. Um, but uh, Hopkins says, uh, the Woodman's Lee murder is, um, it's my first big chance, but I'm getting absolutely nowhere with it, and, and I'd like some help, please. So what's the murder about? Well, it's about the murder of a man uh, uh, called Peter Carey, um, who has been found dead um, in his, uh, he calls it his cabin. He's um, it's like a little, wood, he's an ex-sailor, and he's been found dead, harpooned to the wall, literally stuck to the wall like a beetle on a card, he says, transfixed there. Holmes says, yes, he's quite happy to look into this, but, you know, what, what clues have you got? And he says, well, I I've, and Hopkins says, well, I've, I've found his own pouch, his tobacco pouch, although there's no pipe, which is a bit strange. And he's got some tobacco in it, and uh, but it's got his own initials, PC, you know, Peter Carey. Um, so he thinks, oh, that's going quite well. Um, that's a good start. So they, they discuss what's happened about Peter Carey, and basically he's not a nice man, Carey. He's, 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 he's a strict Puritan when he's not in drink, but he's in drink a lot. He's silent, he's morose, he's a bully to his wife and daughter, he's, he regularly assaults people and what have you. And Hopkins writes that two days before the murder, um, a, a stonemason had walked past it and said that he saw um, a shadow across the blind, and it wasn't Carey, actually. It was a man with, with, a, with a, a shorter beard than him, 
and they were obviously they, they were uh, they, they were having a chat. Um, this was before the murder. They haven't really got a great deal to go on at this point. Hopkins is, it talks at some length about how disgusting it was to find the body, you know, transfixed to the wall with a harpoon. They decide that, or they decide that, you know, what Kerry was keeping an appointment with him because he, they met late at night and he wasn't in his bed clothes and there was whiskey and uh, and brandy about the place. Um, so Kerry obviously met this man as a sort of. Um, you know, just just sort of a a, a, day, a date. You know, they <laughs> almost. You know, they they had agreed to meet up. But one thing they don't have is is actually any physical evidence. There's blood all over the place, and uh, but you know, there, there's nothing to to show any signs of you know entry from the other person or or, or anything like that. Um, <laughs> Holmes very amusingly tells Hopkins that uh, in all the cases he's investigated, he's never found one done by something um, who has the ability to fly. And all Hopkins is a bit bit rebuffed by this, but he says, ah, but I do have this. And he pulls out from his pocket a, uh, a drab-covered notebook, which has got the initials JHN um, and the date of 1883. Um, hopes I, he has a look at it, Holmes, and it's got some, you know, initials on it, one of, one of which is CPR, and they have a, uh, a chat about what that could be. And Holmes says, oh, that's Canadian Pacific Railway. So it's a, it's a list of, you know, um, exchanges, you know, stock exchanges and... So this this sort of thing. So they think, well, maybe there's something a bit more to be going to going into about this. The book has a blood stain on it, um, uh, which proves, and they, they basically proved that it it was uh, dropped um, after the crime was committed. Um, they just need to find out um, is this a is this a robbery? Is this something to do with security debt? And uh, who is JHN? Now there's a brief hiatus at this point because they go and speak to Carey's widow and his daughter, none of whom seem particularly upset at the death of Peter Carey. As you can imagine, the man was a bully and a drinker and, um, you know, very, very violent. Hence the name Black Peter, by the way. That's why it's called Black Peter, because of his black moods. And they go to have a look at the cabin again. And they find, well, it is in, Inspector Hopkins finds that um, there's been marks there. Someone's been trying to get into the, uh, to the cabin, which is very, very fortuitous because it means if they hang around later in that night... They'll they'll find whoever's trying to break into the cabin who clearly can tell something about what's happened here, and it's very probably the murderer. That's a, that's what Hopkins surmises. Holmes isn't completely convinced by that, but but this is a very very fortuitous thing. We'll be talking about that. So they um, keep their vigil. It's the Speckled Band all over again, and it's the uh, is it the Red Headed League? You know where they just sit in silence and listen to the quarter hours start chime on the uh, on the clock. It's half past two, I think. When they see this little small man, this very very frail man with a black moustache. Uh, and he says the, the the intensified the deadly pallor of his face as black moustache, and uh, he's trying to get in, and uh, well he does go in, uh, and they jump on him, and uh, <laughs> Hopkins says, "Now my fine fellow, who do you want, and what do you want here? I love now my fine fellow." And the man's obviously, man's obviously scared for his life. He's a very, very small man. A very sort of uh, he's used to, the term anemic is used by by Holmes to describe him. And he says, "My name is uh, John Hopley Nelligan." I was like, "Ah, J H N. This is interesting." Hopkins completely loses his mind here and basically, oh, pretty much arrests him straight away. They ask about his story, and he says, "I was uh, uh, my, my dad was." Uh, he failed for a million pounds. Basically, he had his own brokerage and he lost a million pounds and he always intended to pay back the people who he borrowed the money from, but he disappeared at sea one night. Sea? Hmm, interesting. So Nelligan Senior um, went to uh, Norway. Um, took a little, he got over to Norway because he wanted to, you know, to, to, to raise some capital there to pay back his debtors, but no word was ever heard from him ever again. Again, Hopkins isn't buying a second with this. Oh, yeah, you've killed him. You know, you've killed Peter Carey. You know, you've added, you know, 
you thought you'd probably doing the best thing for your dad, but um, you committed murder, and you know you can't do anything about that. And Holmes is sort of, hmm, yeah, yeah, if if you like, it's not Nelligan's case isn't really helped by the fact he says that he's never been there before, and um, then he produces the book and says, "You clearly have been here before. Come on, mate, you're guilty." Again, Holmes very very quiet, and he says, "Well, Watson, what do you think of this?" And uh, Hopkins, um, Watkins says, "You're not having this, are you?" He says, "I'm, I'm really not, no." So they go back to Baker Street. Hopkins has got his man in, in a very sort of Lestrade, Gregson sort of sign of um, Sidney and Scarlet type way where they arrest the wrong man, because of course he's the wrong man. They go back to Baker Street, and this is where Captain Basil comes back into it again. And he says, uh, you know, I've got three men coming um, to see me tomorrow. And he signs the t- he writes the telegram and says, yeah, can you come and see me tomorrow? I signed Captain Basil. And then he also sends for Hopkins as well. Hopkins comes along, probably a little bit concerned because Holmes isn't always wrong. He's hardly ever wrong, although he is wrong occasionally. So um, they've got three men coming to see them, uh, to this Captain Basil. Hopkins is sitting there saying, you know, I've, I've got my man. You know, he, he, he's, he's been to the, you know, he lied all the way through this and, and he's killed him. And Holmes loses his mind again and just says, look, do you think this anemic youth would have pushed a harpoon through the man the size of Peter Carey and pinned him to the wall? Come on, it's someone bigger than this, and he's very probably outside. So the three men come in, one by one, and uh, Holmes is pretending to be Captain Basil, and he's made up some sort of bogus sailing trip or something. Uh, the first one is James Lancaster comes in, it's the first man, uh, he's, and the second man is uh, uh, Hugh Patton, who's described quite beautifully as a pippin of a man. I love that expression. And the third one is an absolute giant of a man called Patrick Kearns. Patrick Kearns, Peter Carey, same initials, interesting. Um, he's the real deal. He's a harpooner. He's done 26 voyages outside of Dundee. Holmes, just, Holmes as Captain Bob says, yeah, you're the man for me. And they trick him and put him in, uh, in handcuffs, put the derbies on him. Hopkins is absolutely stunned. Yes, hang on. What? What's going on? I've got my man. Who's this man? And he says, that's the man who, keep, who uh, killed Peter Carey. Carey booms at this point and says, uh, look, if I killed Peter Carey, uh, I may have killed him, but I'm not his murderer. I've done the public service. So, of course, they sit down to uh, to listen to his story. Carey was the harpooner on the Sea Unicorn, of which uh, Peter Carey was the skipper. Sorry, Kearns was, sorry, of which Peter, Scary, Peter Carey was the skipper in, uh, in 1883, so 12 years earlier. Um, that he saw, they were on one night when they saw a man in a yacht heading towards Norway, very probably, who um, was getting into trouble, and um, Peter Carey sort of, they helped him aboard. And later on that night, after a conversation uh, between the man, the, the landsman, as he's known in this, and uh, and Peter Carey, Patrick Kearns, the murderer, turned, uh, saw Peter Carey tip him over the side by his ankles. And uh, he knew there was a little uh, box of things. So he clearly stolen from something from the landsman. And of course, this is all written off as he'd obviously just fallen aside. He's, he, he wasn't a very good salesman, Nelligan, so, because obviously it's Nelligan. Patrick Kearns let this stew in his mind for a bit. He saw this and Carey hated Carey, beat him up all the time. And um, um, Carey's always like, you know, having Kearns whipped and what have you, because he had, he said, you know, and, and so he goes to see him and he's, uh, and this is refers to the chance encounter really, which was seen by the stonemason. And he went around to see him and he's all quite jolly. So when he comes back for a couple of days and we'll, we'll see what we can do for you, because obviously you're on hard times now and I'm doing okay. So he says, uh, oh, and he goes back again. So that's when he was seen. Uh, and he goes back again, and uh, but this time Carey's drunk. Drunk, getting louder, getting aggressive, and uh, Kern says he looked up at the the harpoon on the wall, which which was where, where he's got it from. It's been dragged down. Uh, so I might have need of you, my friend. And when Kerry gets more and more aggressively angry and violent, um, Kern stands up, picks up the harpoon, and put, uses his entire force to pin him to the wall and kill him. 
there's a chance at the end, that's the end of the story pretty much, but there's a chance that Kearns will get off of this with self-defence because uh, Carey was, uh, was a violent man and, and made the first attack. And that's the adventure of Black Peter. Told very, very hurriedly, but um, I hope you've got the gist of that. Joining us to discuss uh, the adventure of Black Peter is Catherine Cook again. Hello, Catherine. Hello. We've only just met you, so we don't need to do a huge recap about who you are, what you've done. But what we haven't seen before, um, so we're recording this on Zoom, we normally do it on Skype, is your in- the incredible backdrop to your to where you are now. You've got a fair bit of memorabilia there, a fair bit of Sherlock, Sherlockania. Yes, yes. I keep thinking every time I come on to Zoom, I look at that and think I really must do some clearing up. But <laughs> no, never get around to it. No, I think the word you can use there is splendor. There's plenty of splendor going on in the background, and of course, well, this this is a an audio podcast, so I can't go about it too much. But uh, yes, I'd, I'd quite like your room. Thank you. That looks very nice to me. Um, we when we first had you on the show, we discussed uh, the Adventure of the Solitary Cyclist, which you said is your favourite um sherlock show does the adventure of black peter we're just on the recap for this does the adventure of black peter is that equally in your affection is it it's very high up the list yes i wouldn't any say particular, is there any particular reason because i asked that question because when we do this show hmm. the people say oh yeah we've had guests that say yes because it's a genuine adventure or because charlotte is something clever or because there's police in it um is there any particular why we like black peter i think there are a couple of reasons i think well several actually it's it's one that's got a, a nice bit of deduction in it, and then suddenly, you know, Holmes has worked it all out, and then he gets handed the notebook, which he didn't know about. Yeah. Um, uh, it does this cause a problem to me. Yeah. It's got some very nice turns of phrase in it, like several things you omitted com- to overlook, that sort I'm, of... I'm, I'm coming to this, yeah. Phraseology. And also... It's an identifiable location that's not that far from me by car, and you, you can actually go down and no. visit a lot of the places. Oh wow! Uh, before I announce my thoughts on the, on Black Peter, John, where, where where do you stand on uh, on Black Peter? I, I enjoy this one. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's it's got like a, a well, it's, it's got. A, I don't want to use the term nice murder, um, but it's, you know, it, it's got a murder in it. Um, it's quite exciting. There's a bit of a, a false turn in the middle because you're like, oh, they've got the man. No, wait, Holmes thinks they don't. Um, it's got, you know, the pig harpooning, um, which uh, was... Um, Coming to that. Yeah, I think the BBC series did that as well, didn't they? Yeah. On the tube and the... Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah but it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a good, fun story. I absolutely love Black Peter. I genuinely adore it. It's one. It's one of my top ten quite easily, um, for, for for plenty of reasons. Um, I think the phraseology is is a lot in it. I mean, one of my favourite lads in the, in the entire canon is you really think this anemic youth capable of driving a harpoon through. This anemic youth is a term I've used myself more than once. Um, I, I think the thing that strikes me most about Black, about Black Peter is. The murder, the, the the murder victim is not worth saving. And yet, in, and I, I contrast this with things like the Abbey Grange, where um, there's another murder victim who is a horrific human being. Mm-hmm. And and I, I find Holmes's sort of moral barometer, to it, it does not shift around a lot, I think. But on this one, he's... Um, um, they paint all the way through, like you know, is I think he says his daughter pretty much celebrate when he's killed, which is a rare situation to be in, Catherine. 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, I would link it with the Abbey Grange as well, because you've got the woman tied to the tyrannical man. Yeah. And that ties in a lot with a lot of themes in Conan Doyle's other work and his later, because I can't remember what date exactly, when he was president of divorce law. Yeah, Reflectly. absolutely, yeah. yeah I, I, it's one of the, I mean, he, I find the relationship with, with, with homes and women fascinating as well. Um, you know, he he sees himself as an a, a worthy adversary. He's a very polite man, but he doesn't trust anyone. And um, it's always painted as Watson is the sort of the saver of women. You know, and particularly the Radio Four adaptations, they they really push that. You know, Watson will not believe that a woman is wrong because you know they're delicate flowers who must be protected by everyone. Um, and Holmes doesn't mention Mrs. Carey in this at all. But I I, I find it very interesting that he he still wants to solve the murder without passing comment on what sort of man he is, which I think is quite unusual in a lot of murder cases, um, for fictitious murder cases, I should say. I just find that really, really interesting. Or there's another way of looking that is because we are seeing the whole thing through Watson's eyes. So yeah. maybe it's Watson not recording stuff in order to spare the feelings of the women to an extent. Yeah, yeah, it's always got to be shot through Watson, isn't it? The, the prism of Watson um, and this. I, I, I just find that the, the whole sort of moral ambiguity of Holmes, where sometimes he's... Um, and we mentioned it, for example, this is, isn't the same thing, where um, we had my friend Trevor on to discuss uh, oh, the American wedding where she doesn't turn up, I can't remember what it's called. Um, is it Noble Bachelor? Noble Bachelor. Where... Where, for example, Holmes's relationship with authority changes from one story to the other, literally from being rude to a king to bowing to Lord Saint Simon, and then being incredibly rude to Lord Cantlemere later on, or Lord Backwater, whoever it is. And um, I, I think it's interesting that Conan Doyle paints such a, a bleak picture of the murderer, and then, as you say, does it again in the Abbey Grain. So I think that's one of the things that that really stands out for me. Um, it also begins. Beautifully, I love the way Conan Doyle starts stories straight away. I want to know about Wilson, the, the notorious canary trainer who removed the black spot from the East End. I, I want to read that tonight. And as it is, it is it the murder of, of Cardinal Tosca or something to do with Cardinal Tosca? I think it might be I think murder. it's a suspicious death, isn't it? The suspicious death yeah, of Cardinal so. Tosca, that's it. Yeah. Um, and I, I've got a theory, Catherine, about the um about the unpublished stories which he just drops a line in i just think he thinks of a story that he can't possibly write the ending for um the parsley sinking into the butter um things like that yeah i think it's definitely with parsley sinking into the butter i think with some of the others and i think the cardinal tosca one is one of them it's well known that Conan Doyle picked up ideas from newspapers, from the yeah. Strand magazine itself. And I think there's just something, and there were a couple of cardinals who died mysteriously. And I think he just sort of had that back in the back of his mind and just threw it in as a, a passing reference. He's, it's, it's almost like in, in modern parlance, he, he's put, just put something on a post-it note and slapped it to the side of his laptop. Hmm. What's right about that one day? And, and and I can say that. Well, I, I lived in Hackney in um, in in the late nineties, and um, I used to write a lot of short stories in those days. Never went anywhere whatsoever. And I had a uh, a piece of paper on the inside of my front door which said the words "shop bought cynicism," because I'd heard Michael Stipe of REM use that expression, and I thought I like the idea where you can go and buy emotions from a shop. 
must write a short story about it. That lived there for eight years before I moved out. So I I I got a feeling. Like, I mean, another one is um the the case where Homer solves it by winding up a watch. It's almost as if you thought I've no idea how I can write something around that ending. So I'm just going to leave it there because it's it, that way I've written about it, but I haven't written about it. And I and I absolutely adore that. And and um and I know the Fed. There's lots of you know, you know Bert's written about the further adventures where he's talked about you know the. Uh, um, uh, John Vincent Harding and things like that, who's uh, what have you. So I, I really like that. And as as um, but before that we started recording here, as John Lewis, another an, another great incident here is the walking through the streets of London with a harpoon. Mm. What an opening that is! Is I just think it it it's funny because it's going to be bleak in a minute. Mm. Um, and I I particularly like that. It's also, I think, John, have I got this right? Is this the first Hopkins story? I, I know he, he's, he's in later on in a couple, I think. Yeah, it, it is the first Hopkins story. He's actually only in three stories, all of which I think are in The Return, yeah. um, and one of which is Abbey Grange. Which we, which we've already... He's in Abbey Grange. Yeah, he's in Abbey trying... Grange. There's another um, one. Pinsnes? Yes, it could be, actually, yeah. Um, and th there's reasons, Catherine, why I, I, I like Hopkins. I like the fact that he is... The shining protege of Holmes, yeah, gets it wrong pretty much all the time. Mm. Um, I also like the fact that in the Radio Four adaptation, he's played by Adam from The Archers, which I quite like too. Which means every time I hear his voice, I think, ah, it's Hopkins. Hopkins has moved to Dorsetshire, wherever it is. Um, we are you a Hopkins fan? Yes, I do quite like him. I must admit, I just cheated. He's also in the Missing Three Quarter. Is he? Yeah. I can't remember him in that. Oh, okay. We're all for cheating, by the way. That's what John's for. John, John is my professional cheater on this thing. That's what I normally do because I'm not on my own my own laptop. I don't want to touch things too much and ruin the setup of things. Oh, well, you see, I'm a librarian. <laughs> I have a book. Ah, <laughs> that's not fair. That's a, that's the sort of cheating I like. I I like Hopkins because, as I say, because he's he tries to be like Holmes mm. and yet seems to be more human than Holmes, and therefore he gets sent on his way. For example. Holmes pretty much says all the way through this. Um, but he basically says, provide, once you've got the facts, do everything to disprove what you've seen, and it must remain the case if you can't disprove it. And I, I think we've talked about, you know, why, why this is such a clever story. Um, and there's various things about, you know, the the, the sealskin pouch of tobacco, um, but it's the initials PC, which um, I, I think that's a great example of what of Hopkins just said. PC, aha, that's Carey's. That's nothing to be thought. You can't really think about anything like that. And Holmes says straight away, but what if? Mm. What if it isn't? What if it's just... And also, it's the same initials as my mother. So I quite like that. Um, what is it, do you think, about about um, about that whole section where, where Hopkins comes to comes to Baker Street? and Because I get the feeling that when um, Holmes is singing his praises, Watson doesn't seem too convinced by any of this, by his sort of, ah, yes, he's the great new protege, he models himself on me. This is pretty much what he's saying, you know, I like him because he likes me. Well, I can almost see Watson rolling his eyes. You know, his, his uh, that's what I, I, I really got that impression. another policeman. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You, well, why is it? Because I, I love it when there's, there's a sense of Watson's not taking any nonsense from Holmes hmm. in a sort of, yeah, you, you're always slacking off Lestrade and Gregson and, and, and Peterson and people like that. But because... Hopkins has said, Do you know what? I'm going to try and model myself on you. Ah, he's a great chap. What a lovely fellow. It's... And Hopkins is young, so Holmes can 
feels he can mentor him, whereas, you know, Lestrade and Gregson, they're not going to let Holmes mentor them at all. No, no, they're, they're the old... Uh, um, their attitude is always, yes, but someone's got to walk around the streets looking for things. We can't just sit here. We've got to, you know, we've got to drain the serpentine or, you know, the although with the same story we were talking about before. Um, yeah, we, we've got to do all that. Um, Black Peter is such a dark story. Well, one thing I, that I always forget when I read I've read it several times, obviously, as pretty much everyone has who's listening to this, is just how gory the murder is. Mm. Which And I think another reason I like it is because it goes very gothic, I think, this story, which is why I, I love things like Wisteria Lodge and... Um, uh, and, and the cardboard box, the most gory story the, of them all. Um, it's such an unusual murder. But do you think that Conan, we're seeing it with a very modern eye. Yeah. Conan Doyle, don't forget, had been a doctor on a whaling ship. You know, he's been yes. out there. They've got these little lists in his notebook about you know, how many seals they've killed, how many this, that and the other have been killed. So it's it's not that outside his normal experience or no. time before no I, I think it's just the the rarity of the murder mm. rather than you know abby grange hit by a candlestick or, or whatever it was yeah, or, that's more usual uh, that's 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 your usual that's how these things happen um but uh what's the word he uses transfixing someone to, um like a beetle on a card yeah. Driving a harpoon through someone to, to to pin them to the wall so their feet are dangling. I think is, a is, is, is it because as well it's a foreseeable murder you could have on on a whaling ship, and then it it's transported to a more homely and familiar location as well. Um, because the, because the recreation of the cabin and and the yeah. presence of the harpoons and stuff like that. It's not something you'd have in your normal in your normal town or village, is it? It's, no, no, I spoke, yeah. And it's, Holmes it's does, a, sorry, Holmes does talk about the horrors of the countryside. It's not yes, a lot. Beautiful, yeah, and you don't know what's going on out there. Yeah, it, it, I think that's right. I think I think also it's the fact that it, it's, it's a maritime murder um, 15 miles inland, wherever it is. I don't know how far it is from inland, but... Uh, Rather more than 15 miles, I think, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a mar but it's a maritime murder mm. <laughs> committed. Uh, indoors, the, the Radio Four adaptation, they really go to town on the fact just how grim it is, and they they, they talk about the amount of flies going around the place and uh, well, afterwards. It's described in the story as flies buzzing like yeah. a million. an overturned har harmonium or something, mm. <laughs> which 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 is a wonderful term. Um, my only problem with Black Peter. And and I know, and again, I'll say all criticisms come from love. Like all every single one of them. But it's really lucky about Nelligan breaking in on the same night, isn't it? Yeah. There's an in awful lot of coincidence and things like this. And you just accept <laughs> it, the power of Conan Doyle's writing. Yeah. Yeah. And um and and I can say that because I've read I God knows how many times I've read this story, and it was only when I had to make notes on it when I thought. Oh, that's well. He's coming back tonight. You, obviously, he's coming back tonight. It's another all night vigil as well. And Conan Doyle loves an all night vigil. Yeah, he loves the sounding of the clock in the distance, of um, you know, trying not not trying not to nod off. You know, we've done the speckle band, we've done the red headed league, um, but this time they're met by, if he is a villain, and of course he isn't, the most, I want to say, unscary. <laughs> it's the anemic youth. 
And, and as you say, it, it's really, it throws a spanner in Holmes's reasoning straight away. Because Holmes knows straight away you cannot be the murderer simply because you cannot drive a harpoon through a pig because I've tried and it doesn't work. Hmm. And I, I think that's such a a masterstroke of writing where he's basically saying, oh, look, everyone. And Holmes is saying, yeah, yeah but I know. I know that's not true. Um, one Something we should talk about here is Watson. Hmm. Doesn't do a great deal, does he? <laughs> No, you can almost might see him standing in the corner with a notebook and pen, just writing everything down. I went through the story last night, and I th I thought, right, does he? No, uh, no. Does he draw a gun? No, doesn't draw a gun. Does he? Did, no, doesn't deduce anything. Um, he literally says, "Hello, Holmes. You're carrying a harpoon." Um, that's about it. I think it'd be interesting what may end with the year. He tells us it's eighteen ninety five. That's nice because we can we can judge. We can do the game on that. He tells about the other story, and then he basically just follows him around. And I'm fine with that, by the way. I just I don't see that as a problem. But I think no. it's very interesting that what you said. There. Sorry, John. He does draw a gun, doesn't he? Does he? When they he does. Clap. Oh, yes, you're right. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Holmes told him to. But yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm defending Watson here. He does something right at the end. He does. I, I think it's because I'm trying to save um, uh, Patrick Kearns. That's why. But yes, he, he, do, he does do that as well. We've also got to talk about it's another um, disguise. And there aren't that many disguise stories in this. The Scandal in Bohemia, obviously, the, the, there's the final problem. And there's Captain Basil here, um, which brings me to another great piece of language which he describes his name's james lancaster as a small pippin of a man mm. which is a lovely term i really like that um but as for Watson himself yes okay i will admit he's told to pick up a gun and point it generally in someone's direction there you go are you happy now john yeah john's, not, I, am john's happy. Not. I am happy i am happy He's happy in this. And and I'm fine with Watson not doing too much. But, you, but what, what interests me, Catherine, is, is what you say is the story that we're reading may not necessarily be 100% accurate because it's shot through the prism of Watson. Hmm. Because Watson's bringing out things like, you know, the dark temper of the man and, you know, the, the, the scuffle at the end. Um, incidentally, in the Radio 4 version, he actually breaks Hopkins' nose. So... Oh. Uh, yeah, so they, they were a bit naughty towards Hopkins at the end there. Um, but uh, I, don't, I don't think the story suffers for, for lack of Watson in this. No, I don't think it does. I, I think there are probably quite a lot of stories if we thought about, but Watson doesn't do all that much. Well, this is one of the reasons we brought in Watson Watch, because I think in the first 12 stories and in Adventures, he shoots the dog at the end of the Copper Beaches. Hmm. And he throws a smoke rocket through a window. And I literally think that's it, pretty much. And in the memoirs, there are two stories where he literally sits in a chair and is being spoken to. Musgrave Ritual and the, uh, the, 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 the Gloria oh. Scott. Um, so I, I can forgive Watson for this. But the, uh, the reason, again, we brought up is because thinking ahead, I can only think of maybe um, not the three, three Garadebs where he gets shot. Mm. Something really big, important thing happens to Watson, but not much else, really. And I know that's his role. It's, it's, his role is basically mm. to provide contrast and, you know, to talk about my my, my, my brilliant friend. Um, but as for Holmes, 
does he do much in this? I'm not talking about yellow face where he literally goes to house when he was wrong and goes home again. Um, does he do much in this, do you think? Well, he deduces. I know you said it was a coincidence that Nelligan comes back when they're yeah. there, but he looks at the scratches and things and says, well, he obviously couldn't get in. He is obviously going to come back tonight with a, yeah. with a crowbar or something. So I suppose there's that there. He He also has... He found out about Patrick Cairns. He went off and read the lists and found that, the, that's true. Did, the did, PC name. So he's, we just don't see all of that. We only see the result. I think of that's it. what I think that's that that's in my head a bit. And now, of course, you mentioned he is Captain Basil. He goes he goes around shipping officers and things like that. He goes hunting for this man. He knows he's going to try and get out of the country because he knows he's killed. Um, and um, so there's a lot of work to be done in that. And of course, he is at Allardyce's butcher shop with a harpoon most days. Hmm. Um, so yeah, he, he does a, a great deal of work in this story as well. And of course, he's got to set Hopkins on the right track too. The the way it's told in the BBC story, um, I've not seen the Brett. Is the Brett one any different, John? I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that thought with you while I talk about Radio 4. I can't even um, think of the Brett one. I'm I, I I can't remember it. Yeah, I can't I don't, I don't remember much about it. The way they talk about the way they do it in the Radio 4 series is they focus on Watson, it's the anniversary of Mary's death. And Watson doesn't like Hopkins. And he basically, he walks around as P.G. Woodhouse says, like like Hamlet with a headache. And he's always very, so oh, do what you want. Oh, very, very well, you know. And there's a little section where um, where a, a fly gets caught under a glass or something. And and Holmes says, oh, just let it die, Watson. Come on, we're busy. We've got things to do. And he says, oh, um, you know, the, 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 that's the fly's fate. Leave it is. And he says, oh, you know, and, he, and Watson release it and says, oh, that's what I think of fate. Uh, and you know, so it's all told through Watson being quite down about the anniversary of, of Mary, which sort of tend, makes me think that there wasn't much drama to dramatize really. For There's this. a lot of talking. Yeah, I, I, I suppose if I were thinking about dramatizing it, possibly put in a flashback later on to the argument between um, Black Peter and Cairns might have worked towards the end, you know, rather than. Ken's just saying what happened. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself wondering if Brett actually did this one. I can't, it's not in, you know, you know, you feel like an emotional memory that like you've seen something. I just, my first thought was, was, um, Benelin Cucumber turning up in the, in the, in the BBC version, but I don't think he did. But I know I've got, I, I have my prompter on this show who's going to tell me whether he did or not. I can't remember it, John. I, I suspect it might have been seen as rather um, nasty, gory one. Is it too oh, much? Yeah. Is it too much? Did he do cardboard box? I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah they did cardboard box. box. Um, but then you only get, you know, only get a box with two ears in it. You don't get a a cabin completely covered in blood and flies and everything. Because how would you dramatise it when it's so... The, the, the old picture of... Usual thing of feet hanging above a skirting board, that sort of thing with blood. Some I don't know how you do it. Yeah, I I don't think that Brett did it. Okay. No, I don't think they I'm did. Not, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not seeing any references to it. Because I mean, we, um, we think of Brett as having done a lot, but in fact, they only did about forty or so. They didn't do the whole fifty-six. Yeah. Oh no, and they didn't, certainly didn't do. All even a couple of them, they early. kind of combined, didn't they, to make? Yeah. 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 And a couple of them were horrendously extended. I'm thinking of the the Sussex Vampire and um, the Noble Bachelor. Elementary did it apparently. 
Oh, hmm? I hadn't watched many of any. I've, 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 yeah, I've only watched a few of Elementary, but uh, yeah, they did it. Um, lost Peter Cushing, but nothing about nothing about Brett. So Peter Cushing did it. Yeah, it's a lost episode. It's the long, the last I was going to say. I don't remember rewatching. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's just, I just, I just wonder if there's that much to dramatize once you've gone past the original murder because you can't really make a production of Hopkins being wrong and then thinking, oh, Holmes has got it right at the end. Because Watson's not helping, as we've, as we've already said. I, I think not... you'd have to do it with flashbacks rather than, you know, just saying, oh, the guy used to chase his wife and daughter around the gardens at night. Yeah, you'd and maybe have there's... have a flashback of that and a load of screaming and running and things. Yeah. Um, and and that... then you'd have to have a flashback on some of the fights and maybe... Yeah, and the, also the stonemason, I think he's a stonemason yeah. scene. Um, hell of a memory, that man. I, I looked yeah. at. A, I saw a shadow on a blind and noticed that the beard was bris bristled forward. Yeah. Yeah, he loves shadows on blinds, doesn't he? We get it. <laughs> he does love a blind. The empty house, uh, the shadow on the blind. Yeah, and then you, you'd have to have a flashback showing the actual murder as well, and how you know pre-watershed is a difficult one, isn't it? That's... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a um, bit on a boat and somebody being tipped over a railing on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, since we've gone come on to the, the bit with the boat, something's not quite landing for me. There, sorry, that's an awful pun. Now I think about it, um, because they are just securities. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not sure if you can just hold security and say they're mine when they're in somebody else's name. I oh. and also, no, that 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 is picked up in the um, Les Klinger annotated that I wait. Oh, okay. There are apparently a couple of different varieties of securities, and there are some oh, I haven't read this. Okay. bearer securities. Right. And if you've got bearer securities, then they're not in your name. It's just I've got these securities. I am bearing them, therefore they they are mine. I think that's how I understand it. So I think it is possible. So you can basically but, cash in a piece of paper, pretty much. Yeah. Exactly. The other sort of securities, they're sort of in your name, and you can yeah, exactly, yeah, placements. That was one of the big scams that the American mafia and the craze did, wasn't it, in the sixties with bearer securities and that type of thing. So, oh, and the Americans. I'm only referring to thinking about the film Legend. I don't know if this is true or not, where they just yeah. come over and say basically this: this is just paper money straight away. Yeah. So yeah, I I just find I think what I also find strange to think is he's killed, Perry's killed Nelligan Senior, come back set up this whole thing there's been a disappearance in the middle of the night that's not investigated at all man everyone saw this man you know be be rescued from from i imagine the north sea um and then just disappears there's no mention of any sort of was that suspicious or no and then well, suddenly carries very rich is it just assumed he fell overboard doesn't doesn't say much for the average crew of a whaling ship that no they, oh well yes he, he was a landlubber he must have fallen overboard and nothing we can do about it now. Well, how do you fall over if you've been rescued and you know put put put, put in your cabin? I imagine because he must have had been there long enough for him to. I mean, he didn't like you know punch him the second he got aboard and then steal all his money. So he must have been there for hours at least. Well, well, Kern saw him, I and then no one. No one put two and two together about Cairns, about um, Carey suddenly becoming quite rich when he's obviously a drunkard and a bully and 
probably didn't dare to, for one thing. Yeah, that is true. Also, yeah. I suppose you could say, landlubber, oh, we must have been feeling seasick, and if you're feeling seasick, you might try and go up to get some air or something, and then you slip and fall overboard. Okay. And why did Cairns take so long? I don't know. Maybe, well, some of the bonds, bonds um, securities turned up on the market and were spotted. That doesn't mean that others hadn't been turning up elsewhere. Doesn't he yeah. retire from the sea almost immediately? Yeah. It implies that maybe in Scotland or somewhere, was out of Dundee, that he'd already realised some of these, which gave him the money to retire. And maybe now he's sort of getting careless and let a couple more out because he needed more money. And they are the ones that were picked up. Yeah. Yeah. And also, young Nelligan was only 10 at the time. That's right. Yeah. An anemic young man. So what are we saying? 20, maybe? About, yeah, I, I got such a late teens, early 20s. Yeah. So he's now got this friend who tells him about this. But if anybody would spotted it all those years ago, you know, maybe nobody knew. Um, yeah. There wasn't the instant access to information, you know, the Scotland Yard Homes computer or anything in those days. No, I suppose not. I suppose also Kearns' job wasn't to be on lands looking for people. He was a he was a whaler, wasn't he? So he was a, his job was like and and bearing in mind that this wasn't a six week job he was on. He was like two years on a boat for a lot of the times. He was doing plenty of them. Yeah. He, had, he had plenty of time to come back. I do really enjoy that that scene, Catherine, at the end. The the uh, the captain Basil, you're the man I want. Hmm. I, I really I really enjoy Holmes when he puts on a little bit of theatre. Yeah. As in, like you know, let let's get the two the two gents out of the way first. You know, I'm sorry, the birth being filled. Here's your sovereign, or whatever. Now then, you're the man I want. I love that line so much. Yes, you're the uh, man I'm looking for. And I love the way the first two he says, you know, here's your sovereign. Just go and wait over there. They, he makes sure that they don't meet cans on the way out. Yeah, play the wrong thing. Where yeah. he said he told him to go and wait in his bedroom, but there we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do these sailors think when suddenly they're being sent into this strange man's bedroom and given a a, a sovereign and stuff? Yeah. Like that? <laughs> <laughs> go and wait in my bedroom. I'm sorry. <laughs> and they're joined by another sailor a second later. You know, what's yeah. going on? And uh, yeah, also c come along. You're a sailor. Yes. Are you perfectly adequately to do this? Yes, I am. Well, you're not. Bye. Why did you summon me then? Yeah. <laughs> Very, very well, maybe they've you know, you know, been given a sovereign. It was a fair amount. It was a oh, sovereign. yeah, yeah. It was a yeah, fair yeah, amount back then. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm take, I'd, I'd go along to that meeting knowing there's no job at the end of it if someone would give me a sovereign. Um, I would also think Captain Battle looks a lot like Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I, I would also think that. <laughs> so, and um, and the fact that the the, uh, the the shipping company is in 221B Baker Street. Well, the 221B Baker Street, yes. I mean, people wouldn't necessarily have known what Holmes looked like. Especially that's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, all you've got to go on is what's in the Strand magazine. It yeah. Bit, it's, it's in Mr. Holmes, the, the re fairly recent film, where there's a sort of flashback and the woman opens the door, Francis de la Tour, and says, you're not Holmes, you don't look anything like your pictures. Yeah. And there's, all, there's also the Sherlock series as well, where um, in the the Abominable Bride, when Watson says he's had to grow a moustache because of the illustrator in the Strand and the uh, we are, we are, of course, assuming that Watson used their real address. Uh, we well, that's that's brought up in Mr. Holmes. He's, he's, he does, there's a lovely scene where he says, you know, he's 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 in 
Um, the room's actually opposite Treaty 1B, Baker Street, because Holmes likes to see the tourists uh, <laughs> across the street yeah. again looking at the wrong house. I, I quite like that. It's a solved-by-advertisement story. Um, I Holmes, don't Holmes, think there's enough of them. Holmes puts an advert somewhere, and it, it solves the case, you know, which when, when Mycroft does it, it backfires. Because um... Mycroft is terrible at it. <laughs> Mycroft basically says, this man here who you're looking for, yes, he has double-crossed you, and he lives here. He's just awful at it. I'm, I'm trying to think of other stories where there's... Um... Where he, where he brings people in. Uh, the missing three quarters, he gets a lot out of his advertisement and everything as well. Studying Scarlet. Scarlet, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, which, which is, which, sorry, because we are going to be discussing the, the novels at some point, Catherine, but Studying Scarlet, where he basically says, Dear murderer, come here. And he shows up. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> well, don't they always say that criminals are generally caught because they've done something stupid? And that's and that's what they say. Well, they, 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 I think it's certainly in the, in the BBC, the Radio Four version of Studying Scarlet, Holmes basically they get past that by basically saying he clearly wanted to tell his story before he died, mm. and you know he I know he's already been here once, but he clearly wanted to share his story before, and so they do that. Not that you know it's a major plot hole or anything, Sir Arthur. No, okay, but we're, we're going to do it this way. But I I love the the um the the whole. The fact that the fact that Kent is so huge, he takes up a huge part of the living room, yes. with, with the obviously with the other two sailors in the bedroom because that's the sort of morning they're having. Um, a two to one B. It's just, I'm I'm always a bit suspicious of stories where they where they tell you the story at the end. I mean, again, studying Scarlet's a huge example of this, where the last sixty pages is hmm. a man saying this happened, and they're going, "All oh, right, okay." So, you know, I've criticised Watson for sitting in a chair and being spoken to, but Holmes is the same in this. Um, You've got me, Gov. Here's my confession. Nicely yeah. detailed and perfectly uh, set out and chronological. Yeah, I think <laughs> we need to bear in mind the history. Um, this is long before. Well, I mean, it's a bit equivalent to Poirot getting everybody in the room and saying, right, well, you could have done it, but you didn't. You could have done it, but you didn't. <laughs> when When these were written, I'm going back onto the, the Conan Doyle view here. There was no way of doing it. No. It sort of experimenting with different ways of doing the story. Yeah. And if you put the, I mean, I know we're straying onto one of the novels, if you put all the sort of backstory of Study in Scarlet, or for that matter, um, Sign of Four, at the beginning, everyone's, I thought this was a Sherlock Holmes story. Where's Sherlock Holmes in this? This is Utah. What's this? Why am I bothering with this? And they chuck it away. Well, well to, 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 to amplify that, Valley of Fear. Mm. It's not in it for 100 pages. <laughs> it's yeah. all about the, the Mr. Valley and what have you. And then Holmes comes and solves the case at the end, you know, via Porlock and the the, the Whittaker's Almanac thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I suppose it's exposition. I, I talk a lot about how Conan Doyle writes so concisely and gets everything inside 12 pages. Uh, and when my friend Neil did the first show with us in Scandal and Bohemia, we, we'd said, you know, he's he's written in 12 plays, at th in 12 pages, 12 to 15, a three-act play. He's introduced a character. He's told you who the um, the, the entire story, he's told you what that, you know, I'm not interested in the fact that he's the king. I'm doing all of that and I'm doing it in probably somewhere around 6,000 words. That is impressive. That's a really, really difficult thing to do. Didn't the editor of the Strand magazine 
um, whose name I'm not going to attempt to pronounce because nobody really knows how to pronounce Greenhoff Greenhow Smith. Didn't he That's say it, this yeah. is the short, the the greatest short story writer since Edgar Allan Poe? Yeah, I I I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, and and this is so. I suppose at, at the end, we we talked about with 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 Trevor Downey about. Um, we talked. We talked about the Noble Bachelor. We talked about. Um, he referred to Hattie, the you know the main the the bride in it as, as Hattie Exposition, because that's her entire job. I will come in and tell you everything up until this point, what's happened, and I have no other character trait other than that, pretty much. Um, so I suppose it's quite difficult to write a story in such a short time, and it and and with such few ink, without sort of backending the entire story to the final three pages. Look at the Veiled Lodger. Which that's, that's uh, is exposition from the, the female character and not much. It else. really is, yeah. I, I, again, and I've mentioned this on a previous show, possibly the, the one we were on, where Rob Nunn said, um, "Sherlock goes to someone's house, gets a here's a story, gets a letter. That's the story. That's the entire story. And you know, you've got to have exposition in there to to, to illustrate that point. Um, one thing I didn't get." from black peter of all the times all the adaptations um and is they they run off to norway at the end there are theories about that and i rather like the one which again going back to the book i've got next to me which i think is quoted as being from chris redmond is that home it's too much of a coincidence that they just finished one story which norway involved in and suddenly they've got another case in norway isn't this funny he he says that maybe holmes reckons that nelligan senior wasn't tipped over a rail. He didn't die, but he is actually yep. alive and well in Nor in Norway, enjoying the other half of the securities that are at uh, the bottom of the sea, supposedly. Possibly, yeah. I like that theory a lot. Um, it's very harsh on young young Nelligan hmm. if he's lost his dad and then suddenly his dad's you know in downtown Oslo every night, um, enjoying himself while his friends in Woodman's Lee, um. I, it just for some reason I just didn't pick that up at all. It's really strange. It's it's um it also makes me think that I, I like the beginning of the stories when when Watson says of Holmes, I've never known him so busy, and like you know he's got so much going on, he's so busy. Because that always contradicts the fact that Holmes is wet. Holmes bored is just wonderful for me. Walk around furious, throwing newspapers down, glaring out of the window, being rude to Mrs. Hudson. I I love that. You know, give me I know, give, give me the Give me problems, give me the most obtrusive, you know, that all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but for some reason on this one, he's gone, big murder case. And, oh, there's a follow-up as well. I'll go, I'll go and do that. But, I'm, but Watson's not bothered about that at all. And Watson doesn't record it. And I think he may, he may give it, I'll have to have a look, but I think he gives it two whole lines. It's like, yep, and then we went and looked at the Nelligan case straight after that. But you don't need to know that. And that just didn't, land with me whatsoever until I read it and thought, oh my God, they, they, they're going away. Yeah, well, the other thing, I suppose, and it happens in other stories, that Watson will say something like, oh, Holmes wouldn't let me tell this story until all the people yes. affected had died. So, of course, you've still got young Nelligan. So maybe Watson is saying, okay, we're actually going off to, or Holmes has said, we're going to Norway. And Watson sort of said, shut up, his son's still alive. We can't, and possibly the, the wife as well. We don't think we know. Yeah, that's true, yeah. You know, let, let's at least wait. Let's 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 solve it. Let's find out, but let's just wait a bit and not blurt it out in the Strand magazine. Yeah. It may it may be coming, and and but one thing we should be, I should have said from before actually is 
Um, this is a story where he refers to a previous story. Yeah. Um, I know that he refers to um case of identity in a story before it's recorded. The second stain is mentioned, and then he writes about it eleven years later. Um, but this this is a direct we've just done the primary school. You know, it's it's that sort of literally the one you just read. It's a it's a back up from that, which also makes me think that he's advertising it in a way. Don't forget the Priory story at school. I was quite pleased with that one. Now go back and read it um, before you come back to this one as well. I love this run of stories so much. I really really enjoy it. And we've got I know we've got Milverton to come up and uh, um, uh, the Six Napoleons. And I, I think from I've said it before from from the Naval Treaty onwards, it's they're so strong these stories. I know he's had time because we've had the great hiatus and everything, but... People have been a bit sniffy about the return and the later stories. You know, Holmes before Reichenbach, it wasn't the same man who came back, was yeah. he? Sherlock Holmes and all this, but actually there are some cracking stories after Reichenbach. I I, I criticised Casebook a lot, then I remember that it's also got my favourite story ever, Bruce Partington. Mm. Um, it's got Thorbridge which I think is a genuine genius story. I absolutely yes. love that so yeah. much. And I know there's a rumour that he's stolen it from somebody else, but when he's not stealing his own stories from himself. Um, but uh, th this little run-up, I think, I I'm going up to the Golden Ponds now, I think, which I think is is, is, is fine. It's it's a it's a par story for me, that one. It's not, it doesn't strike me like this one, but the fact that Priory School, Solitary Cyclist, Priory, you know, Dancing Men, um, I won't read them in order because I can't, um, um, and we, you know, Milverton to come, and 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 um, I love the second stain as well. To be honest, it's just so rich. And but you're absolutely right. Casebook and his last bow, his last bow is amazing. It's an incredible thing. You know, Altamont's mentioned and and what have you. Is I I think this is. It, it's easy to say the best stories are, the, are in the first twelve. I completely agree with that. I, I think that's a really strong thing. But he's. He's on such a good run here. Mm. He really is. And I know that he's had a lot of time without writing homes to do it, but this is just... I'm, 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 I, I was thinking the other day, I, I compliment all the stories on this podcast, and there's going to be a time coming up pretty soon when I'm going to start going, John, we've got to do the Blanche Soldier, and I'm, I'm going to enjoy the Blanche Soldier because it's Holmes and Watson, but I'm going to be thinking, oh, what do we talk about for this? It involves gloves and the Lancet. That's all we've got. So, do you like this run of stories as well? Is this? Yes. Yeah, I, I think I think the problem with the later ones is there are a number of I'm going to say not not going to say not very good, but below past stories like the Blanched Soldier. Yeah. Like I think the Veiled Lodger. Um, I think it, it is Conan Doyle thinking, I need money to fund this. Oh, I'll yes. try to shove off a quick Sherlock Holmes story. And it, I think it was what David Stuart Davis once called Sherlock Holmes as a milky cow. And I can understand why you've got to do that. Hmm. In, in, in This, in a very modern setting for me, seems to me, and I'm going to get some hate mail for this, like the comedy series Peep Show, which had nine series. And I think the first five are brilliant. And then it's the same plot six times. He's in love with this woman. It's going really, really well. It messes up at the end. Um, and I think when he starts to read, when he writes the Red Headed League for the third time, for the Garrett three Garadebs, after he's already done it with the stockbroker's clerk, that I remember when I read them, because I did read them in order actually as well. I, I was thinking, oh, he was very familiar. But then his his last bow blew me away. I thought, wow, wow. There's, there's cars in this, and you know, he's 
Holmes is somebody else. It's it's his best disguise because it took him so long. And hmm. um, but I, I thought this little run is just just just, just tremendous. John, any any further thoughts on the Black Peter? Um, no. Okay. Well, can <laughs> I, just, I ask you to I look just... up that this we, we do this in every show, as as you know, Catherine. Mm. This doesn't come up in his, his top te- up top twelve list, does it? I forgot to check. I'll have a look now. I don't think it does for some reason. Not. I know that he felt the cardboard box wasn't a suitable story. That's why it was published in the Strand yeah. and didn't make it into the collection and turned up yeah. in a later collection. I think that was more about the adultery aspect than any goriness of ears. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which is something you don't think about now at all because most stories are based on adultery these days. Hmm. Well, the other way around. But the only reason I think he may not put include it is because it's too... It's not As, as we've said, it's not gory for him, hmm. but it might be gory for other people. And yeah. it is the most famous image. When you think about Black Peter, you are thinking about a man transfixed by a harpoon against the wall. Yeah. Um, and the man is horrible. The man is grotesque. Mm. So, I, I, as I said before, I, I love the way that sort of plays on the mind of, mm. yeah, but he, it's horrible. But he did deserve it, didn't he? He really did deserve it. And, you know, he's, he's I, I'm more appalled at his attitude towards his wife and daughter than to stealing someone's securities from them. Mm. And it's, I mean, there's been debate in the past as to whether Conan Doyle's father, who was an alcoholic, yeah. ever got violence. The general view, I think, is that he didn't. There is no evidence of it. And I think there is actually evidence Conan Doyle said he wasn't. But he must have been aware that, you know, a man in his cups does tend to have that reaction a lot. Because he, he, he talks about drunkards a lot in mm. the canon. He talks about, I'm actually, um, I might as well say this since we're doing the podcast. I'm actually looking at writing an article about Holmes's relationship with alcohol, too, because um, I, I think I'm right. I, I'm going to have to look this up. I think he drinks more brandy than whiskey. I always thought he was a whiskey drinker, but they do like a brandy after a meal at yeah. 221B. And oh, the famous scene in the cardboard box, which we discussed with the uh, However Improbable podcast uh, hosts, where they just drink lots of wine in the afternoon, then solve the murder. Yes. <laughs> things ever. Let's get drunk first, Watson. Fine. Okay, let's do that. Um, because you've got to say Eustace in the Abbey Grange, which I think the story is twinned with, we've discussed. Um, he, uh, Roaring Jack Woodley. Yep. Very happy to be a drunk. Um, uh, is is Roylet suspected of being a drunk? I don't think it's particularly... I think he's just violent, isn't he? Just, but he's the same yeah. sort of yeah. character. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Is he, is he mentioned? Is Black Peter mentioned in the... Yeah, it's, it's not in the top 12 or the additional seven. Really? be interesting to look and see if it's come in any of the Sherlockian ones. I know both B- BSI, BSJ and the Sherlock Holmes Journal in the past have asked people to vote and then compared what the modern top R is with Conan Doyle's and do we agree with him or not. But I can't remember if Black Peter turned up in those. Would you have it in your top 10? Out of the whole canon, probably not. It's hard, isn't it? Because there's because there's some really really good stories to consider straight away. Uh, and the problem with that is, always straight away your top five has probably got to involve speckled bands somewhere, or you know that sort of mm. thing, scandal, you know, redheaded league. These these are all pretty big, so it might make it might make number ten for me. But I think it's definitely in there. Mm. I think it's a lovely story. It really is. Well, that's the adventure of Black Peter. Um. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Fantastic. Um, Thank you. We normally talk about this, but what's coming up next, John? But one thing I will say, 
is that um, I live in Norwich and um, I get an email from the Norwich Theatre quite a few times, actually, per week. And Bert Cools' play, um, Watson and the Final Problem, is coming to Norwich. So, um, and uh, I've mentioned this to Bert. And um, so I said I would give him a plug. So if you can go and see, if you, if you go and see it on tour, Bert's play tickets are available, not just in Norwich, wherever you want. Check your local theatre because uh, Bert's written a play. And I think that's only a good thing. So I'm happy to advertise that for him. Well, Catherine, thanks for coming on and discussing the Black, Black Peter. We are back next with John. Top of your head. Milverton next. I was going to say, is it Milverton? Yeah, it's Milverton. Yeah. Well, the Bollians. Yeah, we've got some. Um, I I love about Milverton. The BBC adaptation is the it's a, it's played Milverton's played by Peter. Is it named Peter Johnson who played Grouty in Porridge, which is one of my favourite TV programmes of all time. So I love that. Catherine, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you. I would like to thank our host at Rippercast, as well as producers Jonathan Mengus and John Rees. A special thank you too to Andrew Firth, who created both the graphics and the theme music. You can contact us on Twitter at Adler to Amberley. Thank you for listening.